0: You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed.
1: as alaikum alaykum wa, wa Peace and blessings to all our listeners. Welcome to The Voice of Islam. It is Sunday the 14th of August. The time now is 10.07. Welcome to The Weekend World Show with Aslan Ahmadi. Listen to Voice of Islam on DAB Radio mobile and online, 24 hours a day, broadcasting from bethel Fatou Mosque in Morden. The Weekend World Show is a current affairs show with the week's news, views and reviews from a faith and non-faith perspective, promoting the message of peace and unity, discussing religion, politics, sports and all things current, the message of Islam for the West, joining... Join us and share your views and stories by phoning 028 687 7878, or you can tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. The views of the Weekend World Show are those of the individuals and guests. Joining me on this beautiful Sunday morning is our studio in our studio is my co-host Willie Damuth. Chief Librarian at the Battle of the Mosque and Editor in Chief of the Hamdian Bulletin. alaikum
2: Wa alaikum
1: Yes, the uh, beautiful day. It is. And uh, Pakistan and India are celebrating the seventy-fifth anniversary of the independence. Mm-hmm. For Pakistan, is the independence uh, or the state of the formation of the state, whereas mm-hmm. uh, India is celebrating its independence from British rule. And the founder of Pakistan, Muhammad Ali Jinnah, amongst the many famous words of wisdom about the formation of Pakistan, he says, uh, We are starting in the days where there is no discrimination, no distinction between one community or another, no discrimination between one caste or creed and another. We are starting with this fundamental principle that we are all citizens and equal citizens of one state. Mm. Well, wonderful Word words. W- wonderful words. Yes. Uh, his uh, vision has come to fruition. Your thoughts?
2: Uh, very sad to see that uh, that is not the case. That, uh, fully? Not fully? Uh, not at all. Not at all, okay. Uh, we find that minorities are uh, persecuted in, uh, in Pakistan mm-hmm. uh, for their faith and... Uh, the religious beliefs so the kind of vision that uh, uh, mr. Jinnah uh, uh, formulated mm. or hoped for uh, in this in this Pakistan has not been realized right and um, gradually been uh, eroded away to the state we find it in at the moment
1: so was he wrong to want a state of Pakistan or was he right?
2: Well, if you look at uh, the state of Muslims in India at the moment, he was fully justified to uh, want and aspire for a uh, uh, state in Pakistan. Mm. Um, But uh, the uh, country or the nation that uh, he was able to forge, unfortunately, has not been able to pursue and enact the aspirations that uh, he had for this uh, for this uh, new nation, um, and that's very sad.
1: Yeah, it is sad, but because particularly because the early years of Pakistan were quite formidable uh, for a new state. Yes, uh, the impact they had on the world. Yes, the reputation they had on the world. I mean, when Ayub Khan visited here, he was given a state sort of uh, treatment uh, yeah. with, with the with the parade with the queen mm-hmm. um prime ministers and ministers all coming out to meet him and greet him that doesn't seem to be, to be happening anymore
2: mm. so unfortunately part of the reason commentators are saying is because of uh, religious uh, factionalism mm. that, uh, and uh, re- religious extremism yes that has taken hold. And that's very unfortunate, um, and um, when you look at uh, the state of uh, Bangladesh, for instance, you find uh, what a different story that, that uh, has been able to create for itself.
1: They had the worst of the deal of mm-hmm. all of them, and, uh, and yet now they are probably the most uh, it's uh, asp- uh, aspirational, I think, in terms of uh, yeah. what, what they've achieved. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um,
2: uh, okay. One of the more prosperous countries in South Asia.
1: Yes, absolutely. Right. Uh, we'll, we'll be discussing lots lot more on this uh, later mm-hmm. in the show. Uh, this is Voice of Islam, conveying the true message of Islam, message of peace and promoting love for all, hatred for none. So, what lies in store for our listeners on this beautiful Sunday morning?
2: Uh, yes, but that's going to end soon, uh, Hassan, so apparently we're going to have rain <laughs> and then, uh, in fact, more uh, m- floods. Let's stick with uh, anyway. the good news. Let's stick with the good news. Anyway, the good news <laughs> is that is what we have got in store for ah, our listeners uh, uh, in this programme, mm-hmm. uh, It w- following a brief... News review of some of the top stories. Mm-hmm. We will be continuing our life of the Holy Prophet peace be upon him. Where we are now discussing the phase of Islam after the initial persecution and uh, the way that uh, various delegations came to him and what. Uh, they had in store for him, and what they proposed to it, him.
1: It was a period where Islam was now spreading. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yes. And, and, and how Leaps that and went bounds. along, I, indeed. And what have we got at the behind the for the behind the headline segment after the eleven o'clock news?
2: Well, uh, the good doctor, Dr. Iqbal, mm-hmm. uh, who presents Living History, and uh, also Azhar Amdi, a regular contributor, our show will be joining us uh, after the eleven o'clock news. Uh, to to discuss the uh, epoch-making historical foundation of what we were just discussing of Pakistan and whether Jinnah was right to fight for independence in Pakistan. Regarded as the most violent refugee crisis caused by a highly controversial partition plan by the British, Pakistan and India have never been able to reconcile fully. So the question we're asking is, was Jinnah right to want an independent state of Pakistan?
1: Yes, I think it's a q- question worth asking and uh, let's see some of the protagonists who will uh, try to share. We will also be joined by uh, Bapinda Singh uh, who uh, is doing a project about people, the children of the partition mm-hmm. uh, for the Potohara region okay. of India and he'll be joining us in the show as well. Uh, as, uh, we'll be discussing premiership uh, later in the show mm-hmm. as well um, and uh, some... Uh, interesting results to be discussed. Oh, yes, yes very much so. Yes. Anyway, thank you, Willie. There's always a to show for a, uh, an interesting discussion to be had, which I'm sure our listeners will enjoy and maybe even take part in, particularly because of the Pakistan-India partition. Mm. Many of our listeners are from that area. Maybe they would like to say a word or two of their thoughts and share their views and uh, and give us a, a call on 028-687-7878 or tweet us at Islam. UK, Voice of Islam on DAB Radio, mobile and live stream on voiceofislam.co.uk forward slash live. This is the Weekend World Show with Arsene Ahmadi.
0: Weekend World on Voice of Islam.
1: The views on the show are those of the individuals. Uh, Let's start with our news review segment of the show.
0: (coughs) Weekend World. Look at this week's news, views and reviews.
1: Le- the Ahmadiyya Muslim Community holds UK Islamic Conference reports the Surrey Live newspaper. Uh, the 56th UK Ahmadiyya Muslim Community Annual Convention, known as the Jalsa Salana, was held last week, August 5th to 7th. The event took place at Oakland Farm in uh, a 210-acre site in Orton, close to the Surrey border.
2: About 30,000 delegates were in attendance at the gathering where Hazrat Mizar Masrur Ahmed, the Caliph of the community, addressed the attendees in person on all three days. The event was also streamed and broadcast to members of the community worldwide and external speakers addressed the crowd via video link.
1: Yes, uh, and the Muslims are only a small percentage of the total number of people following the faith in the UK, but its numbers are growing. The founder, Mr. Glam Ahmed, was, the, the, was in the second was the second coming of the Messiah, or his claim was Jesus, that person, and since, uh, sorry, uh, it was the second coming of the Messiah, Jesus, in person, and since his uh, death in 1908, the community has been led by a series of khalifs, and whom of whom currently Mr. Masur Ahmed is the fifth. So this was the Jalsa, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a very interesting program during the show, uh, during the Jalsa as well at, uh, at the Dikult with 30,000 people. Um, gone were the days and forgotten days of video links and uh, non-attendance of events, etc., because of COVID. 30,000, great gathering.
2: Hmm. But still, there were precautions that were taken, ah. weren't there? Yes, uh, masks mm-hmm. were... Uh, were well, insisted to be worn, and uh, uh, when uh, people were gathering for lunch or dinner, mm-hmm. they were told to uh, be uh, maintain social distance and not to spend too long in the uh, in the uh, dining mess. Right, uh, eat and move away. Right, um, so there was—is
1: that because the COVID uh, is still spreading, and yes. and there is a surge, isn't there? Yes,
2: there is a surge, and there is that mm. concern mm. that we want didn't want this event to become one of those which uh, caused uh, this uh, this infection to um, to to, I don't know what the right word is, to flourish. Yeah, yeah.
1: or to, to even spread. Yeah. But the Jalsa itself uh, is uh, the highlight of the Muslim community. All the countries where they are established, in nearly 200 countries, they, they hold a similar event. Mm. But the UK one holds a special place, does it not?
2: Yes, because the, the uh, caliph of the community, the worldwide community, resides here. So this has an international dimension. So people from all over the world Uh, are wanting to come to this particular uh, convention that is taking place in this country. Uh, But on this uh, particular uh, uh, occasion, the uh, 2022 uh, JALSA, it was uh, announced that this would remain a UK event and not have that international dimension. That's something that we'll be hoping to resume in 2023.
1: Indeed, and and uh, normally this event would. Uh, sorry, sorry. Uh, normally this event would attract people from abroad. Uh, uh, yes, sometimes up to diff- hundred different countries attend in here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so yeah. it uh, it does have that uh, international flavour. Yes. Purpose, main main purpose of this gathering.
2: Well, the main purpose is, is uh, you know, it's, it's a different event to, say, Glastonbury or Boothstalker. It's one of spiritual upliftment. It's mm. trying to draw people uh, closer to God. That's his underlying uh, objective. There are other objectives as well, but that is the main objective of uh, spiritual rejuvenation. Re- re- univ- re- 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 yeah. Um, but then uh, it's also an opportunity to uh, reacquaint yourself with other members of the community. Mm-hmm. There are uh, members of the community that perhaps you haven't met for a long time. Uh, and also, it's, uh, it's uh, an opportunity to remember those perhaps who have passed away during the year, uh, to remember them and to pray for them. But it is a very much uh, a a spiritual event. Mm. And uh, one of the highlights of that spiritual uh, component is uh, the international bath or the pledge that is taken at the hands of the Caliph of Pledge of Allegiance. Mm. Um, So um, it's a very moving, spiritually uplifting experience that uh, people come and enjoy and take back with them.
1: Taking off the pledge. Um is an Islamic tradition is it not uh, mm-hmm. taking of pledge was taken at the time of the holy Prophet yes, and it was taken at the time of the caliphs yes, the yes. The as well yes uh, and and the purpose of that taking pledge
2: is uh, to commit yourself to the cause mm-hmm. uh to Uh, to God Almighty essentially ultimately yes Yes, ultimately it's
1: it's, uh, giving your allegiance Mm. to God Almighty Mm. Mm. rather than an individual but Mm. uh, that individual whoever the leader the khalif is Mm. becomes uh, your focal point of attraction and this is what's unique about the Amdi Muslim community that the spiritual leadership the Mm. khalafat is the binding force that uh, is helping it to spread and, and grow
2: yes Uh, It unites the community, it enables us to focus uh, its attention on any particular aim or Mm. task that it is uh, uh, to pursue, and it is one that is delivering uh, success after success, uh, by God's grace. Okay, Uh,
1: Thank you very much for sharing those views, uh, thoughts. Uh, Next item uh, from The Independent, Uh, FBI recovered top secret documents from Trump's Uh, Mar-a-Lago home, the FBI recovered documents that were labelled top secret from the former President Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate in Florida, according to court papers released. A property receipt unsealed by the court on Friday shows FBI agents took 11 sets of classified records from the estate during a search on Monday.
2: Hmm. The FBI search on uh, Trump's residence was partly based on suspicions of violations of U.S. Espionage Act related to the illegal retention of sensitive defense documents the warrant showed. Uh, The seized records include some that were marked as classified and some top secret. Top secret is the highest level of classification of U.S. government documents.
1: Yes, Scott Lucas, Professor of American Studies at the University of Birmingham, said Trump is vulnerable to prosecution under the Espionage Act, and and if it transpires that he took those documents, whether he did it by mistake or or intentionally. Let's listen to the U.S. Attorney General uh, Merrick Garland to what he had to say.
3: The Justice Department has filed a motion in the Southern District of Florida to unseal a search warrant and property receipt relating to a court-approved search that the FBI conducted earlier this week. That search was of premises located in Florida belonging to the former President. The Department did not make any public statements on the day of the search. The former President publicly confirmed the search that evening, as is his right. The Department filed the motion to make public the warrant and receipt in light of the former President's public confirmation of the search, the surrounding circumstances, and the substantial public interest in this matter. Federal law, long-standing department rules, and our ethical obligations prevent me from providing further details as to the basis of the search at this time.
1: Yes, that was the Attorney General uh, giving his grounds for what, what happened. Much speculation on what was going on, but uh, anything Trump does, just <laughs> there's something that's just not right, is there? Mm. And even if he was the president... Uh, documents belonging to the government or to the nation belong to that office Mm. and not in his private home. And so there's certainly questions to be answered.
2: Yeah, there's certainly questions to be asked. uh, But what uh, the latest development is that some of those documents have been returned. So whether that's true or not, we don't know. But this is also something that's uh, featuring in the news. Mm-hmm. So if they were so secret or if they're so classified, why have they been returned? Um, uh, but um, the uh, returned reali- back to Trump, you mean? Yes. Okay. Uh, but the reality rem- remains mm. that uh, he has a very large following even now. This is And uh, the his supporters are uh, are. Uh, uh, what is it? Calling foul? Mm. They're saying that something is amiss. Mm. The FBI is against him. They don't want. They want to scupper his chances of uh, uh, re-election in 2024. And that is what this is all about. Mm-hmm. And uh, there is uh, um, a distinct danger that this may descend into something more, uh, more serious, more sinister if it's not, uh, um, it's not addressed properly maybe civil strife that's what I yeah
1: basically. I mean there was near civil strife yeah. on the 6th of January after yes. he lost the elections yes. um, and uh, and not only is he like a Teflon where nothing sticks to him type of situation a bit like but Boris <laughs> but no but with, with him yeah a bit like Boris I would say mm. but with him there seems to be every time something is thrown at him any mud is slung at him more people get to sympathize with him and, yes. and get attracted to want to follow him
2: yes this is uh, this is very strange and, uh, but that is this is the reality mm. Mm.
1: and uh, it, does it question the state of democracy in America and this is the democracy which they want to import around the world because remember they've had so many elections now where there's been issues Mm. Whether it's uh, the tickets not uh, being read properly in the machines or the scuffs of it or not, not turned round, and there's been questioned every election for the past five or six have been under question. Mm. Uh, there is something wrong with American uh, what American democracy democracy stroke oh. elections. Yes, and and the sort of work. I mean, if if FBI are doing this, as as you suggest, that some people are saying. Uh, that questions you know who's running america mm. is, is it is it the politicians or is it the secret services mm.
2: but the fbi are saying that they are they are uh, acting independently indep- independently mm. and uh, the democratic uh, uh, party particularly well the sitting president is mm. saying that he didn't know anything about it yeah. um, and why i also alluded to the fact that there may be civil strife is because there were attacks on the fbi uh, following this, mm. uh, there was uh, uh, an ac- there was an incident where somebody was actually shot right. dead uh, in trying to attack the offices of FBI in one of the states. So this uh, may turn ugly if it's not yes, uh, if yeah. it's not brought into uh, um, quick control.
1: Mm. Yeah, America has a lot of issues at the moment, mm. politically, mm. economically. Mm. Maybe even social And a lot, of guns.
2: a lot of guns. A lot of guns, that's the thing. That's the thing. And
1: uh, mm. and Trump is a campaigner for having guns. Yes. Yeah? Mm. Maybe Shot himself in the foot there, (laughs) (laughs) pardoning the pun. Okay, one more news item we Uh can cover. Author on ventilator and unable to speak agencies. This is from BBC. Salman Rushdie is on a ventilator. I've heard that he's been released from the ventilator and he has spoken some words. So Uh that's Uh the latest, but this is from yesterday. Uh And unable to speak after being stabbed on the stage in the U.S., his agent, Andrew Wiley, said that, the may loo- that he may lose one eye after the attack at an event in New York State.
2: Mr. Rashi 75 went into hiding with police protection in the UK in 1988 after Iran's top leader called for his murder over his novel, uh, The Satanic Verses, which uh, some Muslims uh, deemed blasphemous. Police detained a suspect named as Hadim Matar, uh, 24, from uh, Fairview, New Jersey.
1: Yes, Mr. Rushdie was stabbed at least once in the neck and in the abdomen, authorities said. He was taken to hospital in Irie, Pennsylvania, by helicopter. Indian-born novelist Mr. Rushdie capitulated, uh, catapulted sorry, to fame with The Midnight's Children in 1981, but his fourth book published in 1988, The Satanic Verses, forced him into hiding
2: for nearly 10 years. The surrealist post-modern uh, novel sparked outrage among some Muslims who considered it uh, its contact to be blasphemous, insulting to religion or God, and was banned in some countries. Yes, let's play a little clip about this uh,
1: attack.
3: I, I was shocked and stunned. I didn't believe what I was seeing. My first reaction was, this has to be some kind of demonstration or stunt or something. And then, and then, no, it got, it got so real so fast. And then uh, it was terrifying. The host had just been making the introductory remarks. Uh, Mr. Rushdie was walking down the out on the stage. We were all expecting a a morning lecture. And uh, then a man jumped up on the stage from, I don't know where and started beat what looked like beating him on the chest repeated fist, strokes into his chest and neck.
1: That was uh, a night witness who saw what happened. Mm -hmm. Um, Salman Rushdie, a controversial figure, uh, particularly within Islam, uh, because of that book, The Satanic Verses. Um, But this attack um, would not be supported by Islamic teachings.
2: Well, you're absolutely right. It's not supported by Islamic teachings. It's certainly not... uh, Supported by the example of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. Mm. Uh, Could
1: you sh- share some of those thoughts? Well,
2: uh, he, in his own lifetime, was also insulted. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, he was uh, physically assaulted, but uh, he never um, he never reacted in the way that uh, this um, particular attacker did. Mm-hmm. Uh, in response, uh, there is uh, there are more than one a- there's more than one account yes. of uh, him being provoked but uh, he acted with great uh, forbearance and tolerance. Um, There is the incidence of um, the wife of Abu Lahab. Mm -hmm. Abu Lahab was an uncle of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, a vehement uh, opponent of the Holy Prophet. And uh, his wife used to follow the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. And uh, in order to hurt and humiliate humiliate him, uh, she used to uh, say that uh, she didn't used to call him uh, Muhammad, but uh, uh, Mudhamam, hmm. which means um, somebody who's dispraised right. so In order to belittle him. Yes, yeah, so the uh, opposite of what his yes. name meant. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and uh, you know he said that she, you know crying out uh, his name in this way hmm. in this um, uh, distorted way. And then saying, you know, announcing to people that this is his religion is Mm. something we, we, we decry, we loathe. And the Holy Prophet peace be upon him uh, would uh, would not respond with any kind of violence or uh, in any aggressive way. Uh, He just uh, used to say that, uh, look, she is actually insulting somebody uh, called Madhamam. Muhammad. My name is Muhammad. She's <laughs> not insulting me. Okay, mm, and look mm. what she's saying. Mm. So in this way, this is the way that he used to dispel right. these kinds of insults. And
1: uh, what, about uh, what were the companions? How did they react when, when Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, was attacked verbally or physically? What sort of reaction did they have? Because this is relevant, because if Salman Rushdie's book was an attack on Islam and on the characters and, and prophets and, and wives of the Holy Prophet mm. and, and others. Uh, how should we, as Muslims, react uh, by taking the example of the companions? Is there any examples of what the companions, how they
2: reacted? The, some, the companions, because of their love for the Holy Prophet, mm. peace be upon him, uh, would become extremely distressed and wanted uh, to take some kind of Action against those that were uh, uh, causing, um, uh, causing, uh, uh, disparaging the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. Mm. But the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was very uh, uh, forbearing, and he uh, asked, he res- he re- resisted their uh, their prompting. Mm. And uh, would counsel them not to not not to engage in any um, any 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 violent way. There was right. an incident, uh, for instance, uh, we have uh, in the records where a certain Bedouin came for uh, wanting something from the Holy Prophet peace be upon him. Pauline, or the Holy Prophet peace be upon him was a person of some standing. Mm-hmm. Um, he had uh, provisions, wealth, uh, or at his disposal. Um, so a certain Bedouin came and uh, grabbed him by the collar, and grabbed him by the collar so fiercely that it actually tore off. Wow. Uh, and uh, all he wanted, uh, the Bedouin wanted something from him. So the Holy Prophet peace be upon him again uh, 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 told his followers not to uh, not to act, not to react, not or to or react. Yeah. yeah. And uh, to be and simply gave him mm. uh, and satisfied his request. So again, it shows tolerance, forbearance, mm. and um, uh, magnanimity. Yes. So this is the way that we're supposed to be behave. There are verses in the Holy Quran as well mm. uh, which uh, teach us uh, tolerance and forbearance. And, w- and there's a verse in the Holy Quran which tells us that when people are talking in this in this way. Mm. Uh, in an insulting way, then best to...
1: Best to leave that company. So bid them Islam and and leave that company until they return back to normality. Yes, absolutely. That's the way to to behave. And that is exactly how the Muslim community reacted when... Because this book was Hmm. given uh, sort of uh, accolades because of the reaction, because the Ayatollah Khomeini put a fatwa on it of the death warrant, etc., and gave him fame. And basically made his book sell bigger than it might have. Mm. Uh, there was a recent film by a Shia group against the of uh, and that also has been given more oxygen, you could say, mm. than they would have got, just by the way the Mus- some Muslims have reacted to that mm. film. Mm. Uh, but then the muslim community did not do that. Um, no. So yeah, the, how did we respond? How did so
2: the, uh, the one one way we respond is is to publish a book uh, by a, a famous author of ours, <laughs> Arshad Amdi. Yes. <laughs> okay. uh, I'm sure he'll be he'll be enjoying this program okay, if yeah. he is listening to it. But uh, he wrote a book yes. uh, that uh, uh, basically uh, uh, was a counter to what uh, Salman Rushdie exposed him with, essentially. As to uh, why he had engaged in this uh, kind of uh, uh, of uh, treatise, as the, as the satanic verses, which he which which he published, and the other po- the other thing um, I think that uh, we need to we need to note is that uh, uh, the Holy Prophet peace be uh, upon him was not just uh, insulted verbally; he was also insulted physically. I mean, there was this case of uh, a woman who he would regularly either put rubbish uh, on his path or put uh, or or put rubbish on him mm. uh, but again the holy prophet peace be upon him did not instruct his followers to go and beat beat her up or to go and stab Correct. her yeah. uh, he was very forbearing he went uh, he when uh, she became ill, mm. uh, he went and visited her. Right. Um, so again, it shows forbearance, tolerance, forgiveness, mm. um, and and that is the example of the Holy Prophet. And then, of course, we have the the conquest of Makkah. That uh, you know, when he had um, his opponents at his mercy, when a he hundred he thousand had, army yes
1: traveled into Makkah yes many feared that they would be killed yes. and yet not a single blood yes. was shed. And
2: this was because uh, what the, why they feared is because they had not only insulted him but they had also uh, persecuted him. They had uh, instituted a boycott uh, mm. on him. He lost his loved ones as a result of it. Mm. Uh, they attacked him physically. His people, they murdered him, uh, murdered his uh, followers. Uh, and despite that, the Holy Prophet peace be upon him did not instruct the you know the wanton stabbing of all those indeed, who had uh, inflicted this kind of injustice upon him. Yeah. He uh, forgave uh, them.
1: And this is another example where the coming of the Messiah was was necessary because the reaction of the Ummah is wanting here, hmm. and and these fatwas have not helped the cause of Islam. Uh, if anything, it has promoted those against Islam. And Salman Rushdie certainly did. But we certainly unequivocally condemn any attacks on this, mm-hmm. uh, anyone who does it, and those who want to know behind the book, uh, the book you mentioned, yeah. Rusty, uh, Haunted by His Unholy Ghost by Shadam, they yeah. can go into Al-Islam yeah. and download that from there and uh, purchase it from a bookstore. But there's one other point and that is that
2: uh, Islam uh, teaches a high standard of sensitivity to be observed within uh, within society. Yes. And it admonishes those who deride others. Mm. Uh, So we have to be careful and sensitive uh, to the sensibilities of others. And we should not, uh, in the name of uh, free speech, uh, uh, cross uh, or step over those those limits Mm. to cause uh, angst or grievance to others because... Um, of uh, wanting to express one's free speech. It has to be done uh, responsibly. Yeah. And that is something that uh, needs to be noted. And mm-hmm. that's something that I, I, uh, the Stenikos certainly uh, did not observe.
1: Indeed. I think the verses do not divide one, uh, one another... They may be better than yes. you, even. Yes, you know. very
2: well quoted. Surah Hujarat. <laughs> Surah Hujarat, yes. indeed.
1: Yes. Okay, uh, let's move on to our next segment of the show, um, which is the uh, Faith in Focus. We uh, believe you, in the last program, we were discussing the visit of delegations from various parts of Arabia coming to see the Holy Prophet, either to embrace Islam or to come to an agreement. Uh, not all these delegations had honorable motives. Some of them had sinister intentions. Uh, can you give some examples of those sinister uh, delegations who came to see
2: him? Yes, uh, very sinister, some of them. But, you know, the, this is a period, this is after the fifth year of uh, migrations, so after the Battle of uh, the Azhar, the Ditch where um, a lot of uh, uh, enemy tribes had uh, coalesced, got together Mm -hmm. and attacked Medina and failed. After that, Uh, it was realized among the Arabs that Islam perhaps was here to stay and they should perhaps, uh, some of them at least, started to uh, think that it is better to make some kind of peace and agreement and come to some kind of arrangement with uh, the Holy Prophet, Mm. peace be upon him, rather than to to confront him. And so this uh, series of uh, uh, visiting delegations started essentially during that uh, period and lasted uh, till the end of the life of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. It's a historian's estimate, when you look at history books, there are over a hundred of these uh, delegations. And um, most of them had honourable intentions. Uh, but uh, like you've said, uh, a few, very few had sinister um, ulterior motives. And uh, among them was uh, a delegation from uh, Ahmed bin Sasa. And uh, this is the notorious tribe, that had been involved in the massacre of 70 companions that the Holy Prophet had sent to teach Islam. And the chief was Ahmed bin Tufail, um, who uh, can be described as a nasty piece of work. For a start, he, he asked uh, to accept Islam uh, based on certain conditions, and um, this is something that he had tried to negotiate before he came over. Uh, he had communicated to the Holy Prophet, either through messengers or through letter. Uh, he gave him two choices. Uh, one was either to divide the Arab territories with him, keeping the cities and leaving the Bedouin lands to him, or make him, Amir bin Tufail, his successor. So this this is the two uh, choices. Mm-hmm. And then he added it that if this was not acceptable, then you can expect war. Uh, and the Holy Prophet was of course not going to be uh, giving way on any uh, because of any such threats or accept any such uh, options or conditions. And uh, so this was rejected. And um, it is said that um, after this, the Holy Prophet, uh, Ahmed bin uh, Tufail, said he wants to come and see uh, and meet the Holy Prophet. And uh, surprisingly, well, somewhat surprisingly, but again, it it speaks volumes of the forbearance and uh, the grace of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, that he did not deny uh, him an audience, Uh, and uh, um, he agreed to meet him. And unknown to the Holy Prophet, uh, Ahmed bin Tufair was coming to Medina with different intention, wasn't Mm -hmm. to negotiate, but to assassinate him uh, with the pretense of wanting to accept Islam.
1: And as far as uh, this plan to assassinate, how was this undone?
2: Well, he came unstuck uh, uh, miraculously because um, uh, he came certainly with one accomplice. There may have been others uh, with him. One of them is mentioned in the history books as Arabad. And the plan was that uh, when uh, he would meet the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, Amir uh, would uh, start speaking to, to the Prophet and distract him. And while he's doing that, Arbaad Ar- will sneak around and uh, and stab the Holy Prophet peace be upon him with a poison dagger. So this was the the plan. And uh, it said that uh, when Amir arrived, he asked uh, for the Holy Prophet for a private audience. Uh, the Holy Prophet had been magnanimous enough to meet him uh, after all Amir had done, but he was not prepared to grant him a private audience. So that was denied. And he said that, what you have to say to me, you can say in front of the others. So the conversation took place in public, Mm -hmm. but this did not deter Amir. Uh, He was still determined to go ahead with the plan. Although he recognized it would make his getaway a little difficult, but he was still going ahead with it. And the story goes that during the conversation, Amir got uh, the Holy Prophet distracted as uh, planned, gave the pre-planned signal to uh, Arbaz to strike, but he didn't and uh, the moment passed and and another opportunity arose. And again, uh, uh, Arabad started to do something, but then suddenly stopped. He did not carry carry out the attack. So nothing, uh, nothing happened. This, uh, nothing um, adverse happened. In the end, uh, they had to abandon the plan and return without any agreement and crucially, without uh, committing any physical attack on the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. And when Amir uh, made that set of uh, raising an army against the mm-hmm. Holy Prophet, and this set was uh, is said to have been made in person, the Holy Prophet replied, uh, "Allah will stop you. Oh uh, Allah, I put you in charge of being sufficient for me against Amir bin Tufel. Oh Allah, take care of him and guide his people." So it's a significant prayer. He's ask. He's um, not asking for any punishment on his people. He's asking for guidance on his people, but uh, he's asking for action against uh, Amir bin Tufel, uh, the leader who is threatening him in this way. And it said that on his on their way home, Amir was very, quite angry with Arbad as to why he did not act. Mm-hmm. Arbad says that. Um, uh, when you gave me the order, I lost sight of him. Although he's in front of me, I couldn't see him, mm-hmm. and that's why I hesitated. And this happened again and again, and that's why I didn't, uh, I did not carry out the act. So the holy prophet uh, was saved from that dagger by yeah. miraculous Miraculous, indeed. Yeah. And Ahmed bin Tafel, on the other hand, uh, met a sorry ant uh, Soon afterwards, he was uh, he caught a serious infection or illness. Uh, days afterwards, and uh, died an ignominious uh, death. Uh, his accomplice, Sarbad, was struck by lightning and uh, died as a result. And as far as the tribe was concerned, from what I can tell, they all embraced Islam. So that prayer of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, where he, he prays that take care, care, guide his people, guide the people of Ahmed was fulfilled and was accepted.
1: And were there any other delegations? Uh, who came seeking a share in the leadership of the Holy Prophet? Because he was being, he was very successful, and people must have looked on with envy.
2: Yeah, very, very true. And there were a lot of copycats around. So this is an interesting case. I mean, the most inf- infamous uh, one, the most notorious one, uh, was um, uh, a delegation that <coughs> was led by Muselma. Hmm. Muslima Kazab uh, uh, of the Banu Hanifa tribe, and uh, Muslima is an interesting character. I mean, he was from Yemen. Um, he, he had become influential in his re- region. His real name was Muslama, Muslama ibn Habib, but Muslims altered his name to Muslama, which uh, is which means little Muslama. All right, so it's okay. just to to diminish okay, him. Okay, okay. Okay. So, um, and um, he had converted to Christianity um And uh, had spent time uh, in the uh, Byzantium Empire and acquired some airs and graces, and uh, as a yeah. result, he created an impression for himself yeah. among the tribesmen of the people. That was, you know, some big mm. shot, and, uh, and, and
1: converted from the paganism. The paganism, yeah, yeah. yeah, right.
2: yeah. Uh, he gathered the following and on viewing the uh, success of the holy prophet peace be upon him he also claimed to be a recipient of revelation when you look into into this uh, his story a bit further Mm. uh it's quite interesting uh, in that he also invented surahs uh we have in the holy quran the surah al-feel so he invented Mm. a surah of the frog uh, of the toad right right. (laughs) and um in fact, he also uh, invented a story, uh, a surah of Al-Fil, and it's quite comical that uh, his surah of uh, the elephant—it uh, runs, if you read the history books—I uh, think it's got three verses. War uh, to the elephant. It has a long trunk and a squiggly tail. So quite comical in some respects, and uh, but it's very much um, um, imitating. Or trying to imitate, imitate. the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and his teachings. He advocated three prayers uh, and fasting uh, during the month of Ramadan, not during the day, hmm. but just to be uh, to be uh, different during yeah. the night. Right. So, okay. So, okay. And um, also, he um, uh, allowed um, uh, premarital uh, relations. Very nice. Uh, <laughs> 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 yes. Uh, so you can see, you know, how he tinkered with Islamic teachings. Mm. Uh, to give the impression that there was something of his own that were revealed to him by God.
1: It it almost looks like there wasn't much thought going on in the the process.
2: Yes, so a little uh, adjustment here, a little adjustment there, yes, absolutely, yes. So he could have been more more inventive, yes. Mm, mm. Anyway, uh, he came uh, with his uh, delegation to the Holy Prophet, not to deny his prophethood, Uh, This is also significant. He accepted the prophethood of the Holy Prophet, uh, peace be upon him, but he said that the Holy Prophet should also accept his prophethood. So he came to share uh, in the prophethood of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. That's what he was really uh, uh, angling for or aiming for. And when he came, records show that he turned up uh, with a certain degree of pomp and sat waiting for the Holy Prophet while his followers shielded him with a sheet of of cloths. And he said to the Holy Prophet something similar to what Amir uh, had said, that if you share your Prophethood with me and appoint me as your successor, then I will follow you. And it is said that when Musalma was addressing him, the Holy Prophet was um, among his companions and happened to hold a twig in his hands. This is when Mm -hmm. uh, Musalma is addressing the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and asking him, a share in the uh, in the Prophet. and the Holy Prophet replied to Musalma that even if you ask me to give you this twig that I have in my hand, I wouldn't even give you that. So the Holy Prophet went on to warn uh, Musalma that uh, in that uh, Allah will deal with you if you're not careful and do not uh, uh, do not uh, take heed, and uh, He will deal with you and He will humiliate you. Uh, and and he also ended with the words that uh, I'm sure that uh, you you are what Allah has warned me in a dream.
1: Mm-hmm. Which dream was that the, well, the, the Holy Prophet was referring
2: to? Yes, this is quite interesting because le- years later it was asked of Abu Huraira, one of the companions of the Holy Prophet, as to what exactly this dream was, and he says that the Holy Prophet reported that he had seen a dream where he was wearing two gold bangles, mm-hmm. and felt uncomfortable uncom- uh, having them on his wrists and during the dream he was moved to blow on them and as soon as he did so the bangles disappeared so the interpretation was that during his life or after him there would be false claimants to his prophethood and the fact that he uh, blew on them uh, blew on these bangles and they disappeared means that these false claimants would uh, would also perish and disappear and so he was uh, with the interpretation is musalma was one of the the bangles that uh, was um, uh, being signified in that dream. Anyway, there was no agreement during the talks between the Holy Prophet and Muselma. Some historians say that the delegation with Muselma visited maybe on a a separate visit uh, and accepted, uh, this is a delegation from his tribe, accepted uh, Islam but Muselma did not. But what we do know happened is that Musalma, on his return, uh, according to one historical record, sent a letter over to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, in which he maintained his position of being a prophet and wanting a share in the prophethood Mm. uh, with the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. And the letter uh, reads, I mean, it's very brief. It reads, from Musalma, messenger of God to Muhammad, messenger of God. So he's, you know, he's assuming he's also a messenger Clearly of God. Clearly stated that. Yes, yeah. salutations to you. I have been given a share with you in this matter. Half the earth belongs to us and half to the Quraysh, you know, the, the mm-hmm. Holy Prophet peace be upon him and his tribe. But the Quraysh are people who transgress. And the Holy Prophet then replied back. In fact, in when one historical record I was reading, he asked for the, uh, the paper or whatever the parchment was to be turned over and the reply to be written on the back of it, mm-hmm. is, and in which uh, the reply was from Muhammad, the messenger of God, to Meselma, the arch liar. Peace be upon him who follows God's guidance. Now then, surely, the earth belongs to God who bequeaths it to whom he will amongst his servants. The element, ultimate issue is to the God-fearing. So this was, you know, a form of rejecting what uh, his uh, letter, the Muslim letter, was mentioning. And uh, the Muslimah resigned or maintained his position of uh, being a prophet of God, even after the holy prophet, peace be upon him. Uh, And it should also be remembered here that uh, when it comes to the concept of prophet, this was not current among the Arabs. Mm -hmm. I mean, they considered it as part and parcel of what uh, arose among the Jews and the Christians. So this was not something that was um, traditional among the Arabs. Uh, And it was only after the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, claimed to be a prophet, and the success that he was able to generate, that other imposters came to the fore. And it should also be remembered that uh, this was one of the things that uh, Heraclius, the emperor of Rome, was also seeking to find, whether the holy prophet, peace be upon him, was some kind of, God forbid, a copycat of a previous Mm. claimant to prophethood. And when he brought Abu Sufyan before him and asked, interrogated him, this is one of the questions he asked. Have I there remember been you other telling claim- yes? You yes. We shared that, uh, yes. yes, that's right. So, were there mm. any other um, claimants before him? Uh, mm. And uh, not so that also was something that was uh, um, significant as far as Heraclius uh, was concerned. So, after the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, uh, became so successful, many, many uh, claimants arose. There was uh, Um, um, uh, Tuleha was one there was also uh, uh, more than one I think uh, lady prophetesses Hmm. Uh, Muslema married one of them in fact uh, 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 Sadja and uh, it all came to an end during the time of uh, Hazrat Abu Bakr much of this Uh, uh, Musalma met his end at the Battle of Imamah uh, we had raised a staggering force of 40,000 men. He was a man of influence, hmm. it shows. Uh, and uh, he had already defeated two Muslim armies before. Uh, he was uh, finally defeated at the Battle of Yamama. The then uh, it was uh, Khali bin Walid, in fact, who defeated his army. And he met his death um, uh, with Washi. This is the African slave, the one who assassinated Hamza with a spear. And he used the same spear to uh, to bring an end to this impostor. Oh. And interestingly, I was looking uh, this up as well. That mm. some of his followers remained till the seventeenth century. Wow! And his uh, his teachings are still uh, avail have been codified mm-hmm. and available. They're amusing and yeah, laughable right. in some respects. Right. As you said, he wasn't very imaginative in trying to uh, adjust. Yeah, to, <laughs> to or to <laughs> create this religion. Yes.
1: Uh, yeah. Looks like very much uh, and, and to the, uh, anti to what Islam was yes. as, as a presentation to, yeah. to make others believe. Uh, yeah. really, uh, the, the interesting, I just want, I mean, uh, one of the things I want to look into is, and we'll do that in the next show, is that with all these people joining Islam, uh, you sometimes have to manage them as well and, and, and make sure that the right message is being practiced and, and conveyed and, and mm. not manipulated, etc. But uh, with the Muslim Khazab story, it is often used, and you mentioned about him being killed in a battle uh, with the spear, etc. It's often been used as an argument against the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, and in Pakistan in particular. It is that argument is used that look what what Abu Bakr did to Salma because he was a false claimant. But he had claimed prophethood at the time of the Holy Prophet, and yet the Holy Prophet did not do anything to him. No. It is only because he raised an army again. And you mentioned this army of 40,000 and having one other battle that because he was now fighting and killing Muslims, is how he got killed, hmm. not because hmm. of his claimant to prophethood, no. but because of his attacks hmm. and the armies that he was raising. Is, is, uh, so he was killed in battle yes, rather yes. than for his claim to be a prophet. Yes,
2: absolutely, yes. So th- th- it's a very important point uh, uh, that you mentioned. He raised an army of 40,000 people, I mean, uh, and uh, there was a lot of uh, bloodshed as a result. And he threatened, as he said, uh, to, uh, to raise that army uh, unless the Holy Prophet peace be upon him agreed, mm. and uh, and then uh, that's why he came to a sorry end. Indeed,
1: um, we'll we'll cover the next episode yes. of this of of this large numbers joining the Isl- uh, joining Islam yes. following the Holy Prophet, and what uh, provisions were made to look after this influx mm. and manage them, and so that uh, those close uh, those joining. We'll, we're being led the right way. Absolutely, with large numbers, we know that if you don't, if you can't manage them very yeah. quickly, it will go into disarray. Yeah, uh, we'll do that uh, the next event, uh, the next show, uh, and uh, following the news at eleven o'clock, we'll have Azar and uh, Dr. Iqbal joining us to discuss the partition, uh, the, the world's biggest exodus of people. Mm-hmm creating probably millions of deaths as well. So not, not, not a great event, but uh, nevertheless important. Yes. So we'll go, please join us back after the 11
0: o'clock news. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Just been called for Donald The decision taken to join the common market has been reversed. The government should call a general election. Order. Weekend World. Questions to the With Prime Trump's Minister. Words. Behind the Headlines. Uh,
1: Welcome back to the Weekend World Show with and Anadhi. This is uh, the Voice of Islam. Um, Malid, we're on to our Behind the Headlines segment of the show. Uh, We're going to start with uh, the verse of the Holy Quran from chapter 49, Surah Hajar, verse 14. O mankind, we have created you from a male and a female, and we have made you into tribes and sub-tribes, that you may recognize one another. Verily, the most honorable among you in the sight of Allah is is he who is the most righteous among you. Surely, Allah is all-knowing, all-aware. But it's uh, 75 years ago, Mm Sir Cyril Radcliffe, a British lawyer, was commissioned to draw the borders that would divide British-ruled India into two new independent nations, Hindu-majority India and mainly Muslim Pakistan. We are now celebrating the 75th anniversary of that event. Uh, He had just... How long did he have, sorry, uh, to to do all this?
2: Well, he had just five weeks uh, to do so, despite having never travelled to India, (laughs) which had been under British rule for over uh, 200 years. And uh, the boundary uh, between the two nations became known as the Radcliffe Line and was officially announced on August 17th, 1947, days after the independence of India and Pakistan.
1: Yes, Radcliffe was asked to base his lines on the population of Muslims and Hindus. In addition to other factors, these additional factors were never officially defined but were linked with uh, social economical positions and, and, and mm-hmm. the social structures of those communities. The Muslims and the Hindus had to decide, or the Muslims and the Hindus had to decide, which country they wish to. To reside and hence the world's largest migration took place with severe repercussions. Let's listen to a clip outlining what happened.
4: After 200 years of British rule over the Indian subcontinent, on August 15, 1947, it was split into two independent nations Hindu majority India and Muslim majority Pakistan. The process was known as partition. Most people wanted independence, but what came after that was tragic. Some 17 million people were displaced and an estimated 1 million were killed. Prior to colonization, the subcontinent was made up of princely states where many religions coexisted. Hindus were the majority and Muslims were the largest minority. Historians say the British implemented a strategy known as divide and rule promoting political divisions between followers of the region's main religions. But a freedom movement, mainly led by the Indian National Congress Party, saw members of these communities come together to resist British rule. Led by Mahatma Gandhi and others, the largely non-violent campaign forced the British to act, and the UK announced its plans to quit the vast nation after the Second World War. But that ignited fears about who would govern next. Making up 25% of the population, Muslims were worried about being a minority in a Hindu-majority country. Under imperial rule, they were protected and represented in a specialized system. So, Muhammad Ali Jinnah, leader of the Muslim League, advocated for Muslims to have their own homeland, Pakistan. A section of Hindus also campaigned for an ethnic Hindu state. Divisions between the two groups deepened. Riots erupted in many places in which thousands were killed. In 1946, Lord Louis Mountbatten, the new British Viceroy to India, started talks with the Congress parties Jawaharlal Nehru and Jinnah. Mountbatten convinced the leaders to agree to the partition, creating two new states. Cyril Radcliffe, a British lawyer who had never been to India, was tasked with drawing up the borders. He was given just 36 days to put together the partition project. Using outdated maps and census records, his committee came up with this. India, West Pakistan, and East Pakistan, which would later become Bangladesh. But they didn't assign Muslim-majority Kashmir to either country. This will cause problems later. As the British left in 1947, chaos erupted. Millions of Muslims, Hindus, and Sikhs suddenly found themselves on the wrong side of the border. They had to leave their ancestral homes, with millions of families separated until this day. The exodus of people triggered unprecedented violence, with mobs killing an estimated one million people and raping and abducting up to 100,000 women. What was supposed to be a celebration of independence from British rule turned into a bloody and brutal chapter in the history of the two countries. 75 years later, India and Pakistan remain bitter rivals, still disputing over their borders.
1: Well, it's a good, rea- good uh, uh, summary of what uh, what happened and, and the state it is it is in currently. Mm. Uh, joining us uh, is uh, Dr. Iqbal, who is from Kashmir, Pakistan, in uh, and is a keen historian presenting the Living History program on Voice of Islam, and Azar, a political commentator on our show, uh, regular commentator, I must say. Uh, welcome, gentlemen. Alaikum. Right. Uh, thank you, gentlemen, for joining. I, I, we played a little clip there about uh, this uh, the situation of what how the partition came about. Let me start with Dr. Iqbal first. Uh, Dr. Iqbal, what lay behind the partition and why was it necessary?
5: I think
6: uh, it has uh, roots in some uh, earlier tensions. Uh, India, as you know, has uh, uh, a proud and very, very long history. It's been one of the major nations determining global uh, history. Um, you know, largely dominated by um, Hindu and sort of Buddhist origins, but uh, Islam also played a major part uh, from its spread from uh, Arabia into India. And in fact, uh, around the time of Partition, India probably had the greatest number of Muslims across the world. And the Mughal Empire, of course, was one of the greatest empires that controlled India uh, you know, under uh, Aurangzeb's time. It was probably to the greatest extent matching, if not exceeding Ashoka's uh, great empire. But uh, when the British took over, uh, they obviously extracted as much wealth as they could from India to benefit England and Great Britain and its development and its colonial empire. But um, towards the end of the, uh, sort of the 19th, 20th centuries, the, the empire was becoming weaker and weaker. And of course, at the start of the 20th century, Britain got involved in two disastrous wars, You know, First World War and Second World War. And by that time, it was losing its grip. And so India was bound to get some form of independence, largely driven by Congress. But many of the Muslims then who were in India at that time felt that um, they didn't have political power, involvement in the political processes, etc. And uh, that's really what started stirring the differences and the two nation theory. You know, so Safsaid Emma, the founder of the Aligarh University, and many of the great intellectuals who arose from that started raising concern that uh, if the British do eventually leave, we will be dominated by just an Indian elite hierarchy, and uh, we need to protect our culture and. Uh, these sort of things then obviously led to the eventual partition.
1: Hmm. Uh, that's interesting. Other, in terms of Jinnah, uh, who was the leader of the Muslim League, uh, had decided that uh, they should that a Muslim state should be created in this independence. What were, I mean, what were the reasons behind that? I know Dr. Ibal touched on that, but what were the reasons for that, and who were the supporters behind him? Who were uh, urging for this Muslim state?
7: Well, uh, it has been felt that uh, for the last eight centuries, since the arrival of Islam, uh, there were two nations really existing in India. And, uh, you know, as far as the Muslims were concerned and the Hindus were concerned, which are the two dominant uh, religions uh, at that time, there was not much mixing. And so, two nations had been living parallel to each other. And uh, as far as uh, the Muslims are concerned, even in the Muslim-majority states, for example, in uh, Western Punjab, uh, we accept that Eastern Punjab was uh, Hindu-dominated. In Western Punjab, in uh, Balochistan, in Sindh, in uh, NWFP, uh, And also in Kashmir, which we must remember was a Muslim majority state by 90%. The 90% of the people were Kashmiris. So even in those states where it was uh, Muslim domination, uh, sorry, it was uh, Muslim majority states, the uh, main activities, commerce, industry, banking, money lending, education, the courts, were dominated by the Hindus. So the Muslims were unhappy, and uh, in Bung- the situation was worst in Kashmir and Bengal. In Bengal, it was you know even in uh, in East Bengal where you have large Muslim uh, population, it was felt that it was Hindu dominated as far as you know the activities I mentioned, mm. commerce, industry, and actually uh, uh, when the Cabinet Mission Plan, the English, the British were very uh, uh, keen to have uh, One India, you know, as their great legacy. And the Cabinet mission plan, which was as late as spring 1947, was accepted by both parties, and that envisaged um, autonomy for the Muslim-dominated reasons, uh, Muslim uh, majority. Uh, you know, there's a big uh, distinction between uh, domination and uh, Majority, majority, yeah. Because the Muslim case has always been that also, although they have been in majority, the domination has been by the Hindus. Mm-hmm. So uh, they were, uh, uh, Jinnah was prepared to accept uh, uh, autonomy for the Muslim majority states, but unfortunately, although uh, Mr. Gandhi and Mr. Uh, uh, Nehru played uh, paid lip service, to the Cabinet Mission Plan, they uh, let it be known, and this was well, is a matter of public record, that after independence they can interpret the Cabinet Mission Plan as they wish, and that uh, you know, mm. uh, for all intents and purposes, as far as the Muslims are concerned, things could go back uh, to normal, which is uh, Hindu domination. Right. So this was not acceptable to uh, um, the Muslim League, yeah. and obviously steps were taken to ensure uh, se- a separate state. Right.
1: Dr. Iqbal, I mean, the, the the initial plan was that uh, you had uh, Mountbatten, who was appointed. Uh, the question is, was he the right person? And number two, yes. the plan was to have the partition uh, planned out over. a, over a year, a year and a half or so, and but suddenly it was moved to just a few days, or 35 or 36 days. That was the disaster, was it not? Do Absolutely. we know why? Do we know why this was rushed in uh, instead of the normal time that was appointed for it originally, and why did one Mountbatten change?
6: Well, I, I think before I just answer that, uh, Hassan, just to point out that uh, and I think, uh, as I also alluded to it, um, Jinnah himself never initially wanted a, a partition, separated uh, India. Even though there were a number of prominent Muslims, you know, talking about a two-nation theory, starting from 1924 and 25, in particular. Jinnah himself, from the earliest days, was a member of Congress and worked tirelessly for him the Muslim unity and a unified India being independent, but at a constitution level with a strong constitution framework protecting minorities, etc., etc. It's only when he got frustrated with Gandhi and Nehru, etc., in the 1930s, he got fed up and left and came to England to practice. And he was brought back, really, to see partition and creation of Pakistan through, you know, people like Alama Iqbal and Chodri Ramatari, et etc. These were the people who really pushed for partition and separation. And uh, Jinnah was the man to deliver it, because he was one of the greatest statesmen of the time, clearly, who mm. managed to do that. Now, you mentioned Mountbatten, absolutely right. I mean, <laughs> you know, a lot has been written about Lord Mountbatten, and he, want, he wanted a great legacy for the empire and for himself personally. And uh, Prime Minister Atlee actually gave him till June of uh, 1948 uh, to see partition through, and he was uh, sent as the last Viceroy in March 1947. So he had considerable amount of time. But as you pointed out, he brought it forward to 1947, and that was absolutely disastrous. And it was also disastrous in the way actually he brought the partition because he showed so much favoritism. Towards word because of personal friendships, etc. And this has been covered by a number of books and documentaries you, you've seen recently, even Channel 4, uh, covering this. And Jinaa was kept uh, in in the dark about it. Um, but ultimately, Jinnah had no choice but to ask for partition. And, uh, you know, Montbatten um, basically uh, gave Radcliffe five weeks to draw up a boundary, and so many people lost their lives. And you know 10 to 20 million people who displaced one of the biggest displacements in world history so it was an absolute disaster in what he did in terms of the time scale of course it's inevitable that in a, you know you know the partitioning of a nation it will lead to problems but it was exacerbated by the time scale and the secrecy and uh, the bias that was shown
2: uh, Dr. Gabal, can you explain what are, what were the reasons as to why Lord Manbatten brought the date of the partition forward to uh, uh, nineteen forty-seven, August nineteen
6: forty-seven? I think, if I'm honest with you, it was uh, a bit of ego as well, of quickly wanting to tie up a deal to make sure that because remember, you know, the situation was very fluid and uh, there was political turmoil and social. The uh, turmoil, etc., and what he wanted to leave was a legacy that he was the man who took Britain out of a mess and you know gave the Indians their independence, etc. So I think it was more for his legacy, uh, more than anything else. Um,
1: would he have been pushed? Think, would he have been pushed by the political leaders back home to no, get no, rid not. of Pakistan? No,
6: had given him till at least oh, forty-eight, right. yes. and that would have. That would have definitely been much better mm. um, because, as you know, as I said, uh, initially even Monbaton had gone for a unified India, <laughs> but because of intransigence uh, from Benedu, et etc., VP Menon, the civil servant, eventually persuaded Monbaton that this is just not going to work. So you might as well, you know, look for partition and mm. also to remember The Muslim League also had gained quite a bit of favor with the British establishment by participating in Second World War, whereas Congress had refused to do that and many of the leaders were jailed. So there was, you know, some mileage for Muslim League to push this forward quickly now before they lose any goodwill, etc., but it didn't. It didn't. Ha- Seventy-three days, for God's sake, uh, uh some were given for partition. I mean, that was dreadful. Whereas he could have really stretched it to nineteen forty-eight, and that would have been much better.
2: Uh, other, um, uh, there was, uh, there is, um, there are rumours about uh, certain relationships, uh, particularly that of Lord Mountbatten, which seem to have led him to. Um, to employ bias uh, in his decision making. Um, can you elaborate upon them?
7: Well, I'll t- begin by saying that those rumours to which to al- you allude to are, uh, in, uh, uh, according to most historians, were platonic. But but so were they
1: biased? Those decisions that he made were they oh biased? Oh no, yes,
7: they were. They were oh. absolutely biased, and they were seen. You see, the thing is this: that uh, unfortunately, Mr. Uh, Nehru was seen to be meeting with uh uh Lady and uh and Mr mount B- Mountbatten it in wasn't similar just meeting <laughs> just, <laughs> I Beg your pardon? Well, it
6: wasn't just meeting <laughs> Lady Mountbatten.
7: Well, well as I say the uh the uh most historians are c- are convinced that the relationships were were platonic, so uh, I think i you know, I'm happy to leave it at that. <laughs> but obviously there was bias. And obviously it was rushed, but uh, we cannot blame just the British and Mountbatten. Uh, also, uh, Congress, who had been banging um, for independence for uh, 30, 40 years, remember the Roundtable Conferences in 1930s, which were attended both by Congress and by Muslim League, so they should have prepared for uh, independence. Uh, unfortunately, there's, there, was, uh, there were a lot of communal riots, Uh, Especially in Bengal, in uh, in uh, uh, Calcutta, uh, where there are large Muslim and uh, uh, Hindu uh, populations living together, and also in the Punjab, which was a uh, a great you know uh, a place where both uh, Hindus, Sikhs, Hindus, and Muslims lived. But the biggest blunder of all by the British uh, was obviously Kashmir, because the other parts of the the, the boundaries, as far as Sindh are concerned and Punjab are concerned, are fairly well settled, although they were unfairly settled uh, from the Muslim point of view or from the Pakistan point of view. And as far as Bangladesh is concerned, or East Pakistan, as it was then uh, called, uh, again, there weren't uh, there were some uh, riots, but not as bad as uh, as Punjab. Uh, but the great uh, legacy, or I don't know what the word is for leg for the opposite, the opposite of legacy, of yeah. legacy <laughs> which which is a negative sense, is Kashmir, because uh, Kashmir is the big biggest blunder, and it should have or obviously gone to. Pakistan, because it was Muslim majority, majority, 90%. I mean, and it was contiguous to the rest of the four provinces of Lachistan, Sindh, Punjab, and NWFP. So mm -hmm. there's absolutely no reason, and this is where all these liaisons and favoritism unfortunately let, uh, uh, you know, misled. Um, Mr. Mountbatten, and I think according to Mr. Iqbal, Mr. and Mrs. Mountbatten. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, there we have it. So, so that leg, that uh, the problem of Kashmir still lingers.
1: It still lingers, and yes.
7: Is the big, uh, is the big.
1: Yeah, maybe we can bring doctor. I mean
7: L- uh, yeah,
1: I was going to bring uh, you in TV. here, doctor. Go, go ahead, Doctor Iqbal.
6: Yeah, yeah, and as the Kashmiri, yeah, I mean that was absolutely disgraceful because the border line around Punjab, around Gurdaspur was specifically drawn so that India had a direct, uh, you know, line of contact into Kashmir. So, and that the Radcliffe Commission was definitely influenced by Mountbatten to do that in the short weeks that he was given. So that is absolutely right. But it was that specifically drawing of that boundary line around uh, the Dasboard, giving uh, India the leeway to march its army through into uh, Kashmir, and you know that was really quite discreet. Mm. And, uh, I mean, even the Moshi uh, the map of Pakistan, you know, was not happy with that because you've got massive expanse, you know, with in India in between in East Pakistan and West Pakistan, and and to some extent, Nehru accepted this, and many of Congress accepted it because they thought, well, they could never survive. So they're going to come crying back to us, and Pakistan will not survive long enough. Sure, uh, you know, there are a lot of thinking went into that, it's it's a tragedy. That we've uh, seen. and why they was
1: have, uh, Dr. Bal, sorry? Why was uh, Kashmir important? Uh, and uh,
6: Kashmir because the waterways, a lot of the rivers, as you know, you know, uh, run from that part of the world, but also the majority population was Muslim, so their cultural. Um, allegiance had been linked to obviously Muslims of uh, Pakistan although the choice was uh, there later on, even the, when when the conflict broke, that they should decide freely where what to do, and India never allowed that to happen. Mm. But uh, the majority, I say, eighty, ninety percent, were Muslims uh, at that stage, and it's an absolutely one of the most beautiful parts of the earth. Uh, Son, I don't say that just because I'm a Kashmiri. <laughs> but I think everybody, even the Mughal mm. emperors, wrote about it. You know, a paradise on earth, etc. Mm. So. You know, it's such a shame what happened to that jewel
1: uh, a place described where Jesus was buried I think and yeah, we, we yeah. believe that to be the case I'm sorry you're going to come in with something
7: I've forgotten what okay, that's okay. let me, let, let oh, me yes, l- yes, I've just remembered, if you don't mind go ahead. so the, compl- so the uh, guilt of the British as far as uh, Kashmir is concerned they gave a flimsy excuse uh, that the Maharaja was Indian and he did not exceed you know, the Maharaja of mm. Kashmir was Indian, although it was 90% Muslim, uh, Muslim, mm. so there's no reason. And this is compounded by the fact of three states. One is Bhopal, one is Hyderabad-Dakkan, and one is Junagad. So all of these countries, all of these states, they were Hindu majority, but Muslim uh, Maharaja
1: mm-hmm. or Muslim
7: ruler. So if you apply the same rules, then they should not have gone to India. But what uh, Mr. Gandhi did is, and, and the rulers, they did not give their uh, assent to the accession to India uh, or annexation to India. But what uh, Gandhi did, uh, or Mr. Nehru, or Congress, the government then, just after uh, partition, they sent in the army and said, no, 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 we want to give effect to the um, wishes of the majority of the nation, of the. Uh, of the States, which are obviously Hindu, and the wishes of one man, the, the, mm. the ruler, cannot be, you know, cannot be taken to subvert or to stop the wishes of the majority. So they just sent in their uh, army and, uh, you know, took over these three states, Junagadh, Bhopal, and Hyderabad. Now, as far as Kashmir is concerned, the argument was exactly the opposite, and there again, Mr. Gandhi sent in the army. Uh, uh, and you know, Congress uh, sent in the army and took the place over. So this is, uh, you know, um, uh, extremely bad behavior. Mm-hmm. And obviously, it has
1: uh, and detrimental uh, to and the to, uh, uh, yes. detrimental to the final decision making and what happened. Uh, and
7: to the relations, the even their current relations yes. are totally government are totally governed mm. uh, by the Kashmir issue. Mm.
6: Uh, I mean, I thought there was another point, because the Wait, general is actually control of the army, were British at that time, and the one who was acting for Pakistan gave away gave away to the Indian side what uh, what was happening. So, you know, there was a lot of duplicity and uh, bias during mm. partition, which is such a shame.
1: Clearly, um, the uh, disastrous decision-making going on and, and causing many issues, I presume the biggest disaster was that uh, when people were deciding where to go, the time limit to make that decision got shortened dramatically. And when there are no plans for if you want to move, how do you, what do you do with the property you live in or the land that you live in with the job that you do? And you transfer yourself to another land, to another country, where will you live? What job will you have? How will you feed your family? If those aren't put in place and people are forced to do it, there's going to be mayhem and panic, and that's what happened.
7: Well, you see, there was uh, mob rule at, the mo- at that time. So the first consideration was not your property, or, or, but the safety of yourself and of your family. So where mob rule takes over, and you know we call it communal violence, it has no sense uh and uh you know two or three million people were involved of which of whom a, a million uh, were killed according to some estimates although we will never know some estimates put it as far as two million some put it down to half a million so these things are never uh certifiable so there we have it you know it was mob violence mm-hmm. and as you say there was no nobody was taking uh uh, command of the situation, as far as the um, mm. as far as the political situation was concerned.
1: Doctor Igbar, Azhar says that uh, because of mob rule, many deaths took place. I and
6: differ and with azhar on
1: that. Yeah, I was going to say and that the mob rule was bound to happen if ah, there were no plans be, in place for people to move.
6: Look, you, well, you why should, you should it? Be it why should answer. it? Let
1: why? let, let Doctor Igbar no. uh, respond first.
6: I mean, as one, you've seen it, okay, in world history, whether it's Africa, Latin America, Russia, China, whatever when you don't have administrative control, law and order, mob rule takes over regardless whether you're black, white, Hindu, Muslim, or whatever, right? Mm. It is up to the administrators to make sure things happen peacefully. And the British were in charge at that time. One of the biggest nation split-ups was going to happen, and they should have planned for that. Even the early communal rights of 1946 in the Bengal area, when uh, Rajina asked for uh, uh, you know, uh, the action, the, the day of action, et cetera. Five days were taken before police were uh, actually distributed to stop the killings, et cetera. You, if it was happening in London or in the Bradford or Birmingham or anywhere, they would be there within, you know, within a few hours, et cetera, right? So the administrators were at fault. And yes, of course, you can't excuse, but, you know, when, when the violence takes over, uh, the peaceful nature of religion and your culture and well-being all goes out of the window. It's a terrible state of affairs. Mm.
1: As a, uh, the, the point is that if there was no uh, plans for those migrating from one country to the other as to where they will live, people who will take advantage of this, the mob which, which create the mob rule, will take over, and there will be people who will take advantage of that. And that's what co- caused these mob riots, and this is what caused these deaths.
7: Well, there num- number of po- uh, points I would like to raise in uh, contradiction <laughs> <coughs> <laughs> to what Dr. Iqbal has said. And the Ob- obviously, I agree that the administration should be there, but you see, the thing is this, when there's uh, violence in the football ground, uh, United supporters going absolutely mayhem and city supporters going wild and throwing everything at each other, who's at fault? Is it the supporters? Or is it the police who so is only about, you know, let's say 3,000 there? No, but that's so the point I'm making,
1: Azad. That's the very point I'm making. No, I'm, that, what, let, I'm saying, s- yeah. what I'm
7: saying, I think you've made the point before. So, what I'm saying is that we were told that both by Congress and by uh, Muslim League that we are ready for independence. They've been asking for independence for the last 30 years. So, what, so what was the plan? To, so, what was the
1: plan? What was the they, plan? They for? Had
7: no plans either.
1: So what was mm-hmm. the plan? So what was the plan for people migrating from one country to yes. the other about yes. about where they would live, what they would own uh, yeah, and what work rent. they would then do they, and how they would feed their yeah, family? There, no
7: plans. there were no plans because there was no need for any migration whatsoever. Why? Because people were supposed to behave well and stay, you know, there are still Muslims living mm. in India. They did not migrate. There are still Hindus and Christians living in Pakistan. They did not migrate. So if everybody had stayed calm, but the thing is this that there was more violence. This was started by the Hindus okay. and then the Muslims From were not sure,
1: on, correct, and they yeah.
7: were just killing each other. Yeah. Without and so there were therefore there was migration. There was no plan for migration. Okay,
1: okay. Let's 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 ponder over that. That's a good point, uh, Doctor Iqbal, Was wa- uh, was was migration necessary? Could people have stayed where they were?
6: Oh, uh, I I think absolutely necessary. Look, when when you have such a big historic decision. You know, when you look, as you know, I I do a number of world history events. So this was one of the biggest historical world-changing events that took place on this earth. And naturally, people want to associate with a particular culture, whatever. So Muslims would like to probably be. Of course, many didn't migrate because India still has one of the highest Muslims. But they couldn't if they were too far away. Mm. They weren't going to migrate, were they? But clearly, those in the Punjab, which were close to the borders, they wouldn't. Same apply. So that was bound to happen. And the administrators, and I'm not just blaming the British for that. I think the Congress and the Muslim League uh, should have all played a part to either tell Mountbatten that, no, let's stick to 1948 and have a bit more time. But, uh, you know, oh, yeah. uh, the thing is, right, the governing body were the British. They di- they could dictate and they could say, no, we will do it in 73 days or we will do it by 1948. There's no way that Jinnah uh, or Karneri would have disagreed with that, but they were basically told and they had to accept that because they'd been asking for independence. So sorry, Azhar, I have to disagree.
1: Okay, we'll we'll leave that point there for now. Uh, let's move on to the question we started with, which was, was Jinnah right to demand a state for Muslims? Let's listen to what he said uh, after he uh, Pakistan was
0: created. We want the division of India into Hindustan and Pakistan because that is the only practical solution which will secure freedom for both Hindus and Muslims and the achievement of stable and enduring governments of Hindustan and Pakistan, which I am confident will settle down as friends and neighbors like Canada and United States and other sovereign states both in North and South America. Hindu India and Muslim India must be separated because the two nations are entirely distinct and different, and in some matters antagonistic to each other. Let me tell you some of the differences. We differ in our history, culture, language, architecture, music, laws, jurisprudence, calendar, and our entire social fabric and code of life. One India is impossible realization. It will inevitably mean that the Muslim will be transferred from the domination of the British to the caste Hindu rule, a position that Muslim will never accept. So Jinnah was quite
1: clear of his vision. He wanted a Pakistan which had uh, multiple religious uh, followers. Uh, So have the politicians of Pakistan failed Jinnah? Or was Jinnah not quite um, clear what he wanted? Dr. Balfast?
6: I think Jinnah was forced into asking for Pakistan, if I'm honest with you, my understanding of... Uh, his life, what he wanted, and his vision as a leader. As I said to you very early on, right, he wanted a unified India, and it's only when he realized that that was almost impossible to get um, uh, with the proper constitutional uh, reform within India, etc. Then he accepted mm-hmm. the two nation uh, story that which was largely sold to him by others. And as a politician, a leading political statesman, of course, he had to say that uh, this is the vision and we have to have it now. So you can hear in his words that he had no choice but to say that. And yet uh, he he was a man of vision who wanted a secular, open uh, nation for Muslims. Uh, where they could live by their, you know, their their culture, their ideals, etc., with freedom for everybody, all religions, etc. And Pakistan, Pakistani leaders have failed him on that absolutely, totally. I agree on that. Mm. But on the other hand, we must remember India still had a massive number of Muslims still <laughs> remaining. So, you know, you've got to understand it from the Indian point of view that, uh, on the one hand, you're saying that uh, Muslims and the Hindus can't live together, but you still had a massive number of Muslims. So, I have a question mark on that bit, uh, son. but mm. uh, I think he was a man of vision who was forced to, um, you know, make that decision for partition.
1: Sure. I mean, Jinnah was quite clear that he was under the view that the Muslims living under a Hindu state eventually would suffer. We see that happening in India at the moment, uh, where Muslims are not getting the best of the deals and, uh, and, and, and often uh, marginalized because of their faith. Uh, so Jinnah seems to be right, but have the politicians of Pakistan failed Jinnah's vision? Have the minorities not been looked after the way Jinnah wanted it to, to for them to be looked after?
7: Yes, this is an absolutely correct summary. First of all, Jinnah was absolutely right to demand... Uh, well, first of all, he demanded autonomy for the uh, Muslim-majority states, which uh, everyone agreed to, including Congress, but then they gave uh, uncertain, ambiguous uh, statements as to what they would do after independence, so Jinnah was left with uh, no option but to go for uh, a separate Muslim state because of Hindu domination, even in the Muslim majority states of Punjab, Kashmir, and W.F.P. since You know there were Hindu domination, commerce, industry, banking, and remember, we must remember that. Uh, I agree with what Justice uh, Furloughan Sahib has written in that the the Islam is open, you know, the Muslims are open to the Hindus, but the Hindu is double-locked against Islam. Why? Because it has its own caste system. You know, even today there are very severe caste problems uh, being faced by the untouchables in India, and they number over 100 million. Their situation is really pitiable, and, you know, our heart goes out to them. So we mustn't uh, imagine that India is a great country where everything is rosy and all the minorities are being uh, taken care of. No, the Muslims, especially those in Kashmir, are being uh, hounded and persecuted and suppressed. Their political, social, religious rights are being suppressed. And uh, in Pakistan, the situation has become very tragic. As far as the minorities are concerned, uh, for the Hindus and Muslims, we mustn't consider Ahmadis as minorities, because we consider ourselves as Muslims. So the part played by the politicians in Pakistan is absolutely diabolical, absolutely uh, uh, detrimental to Pakistan, to Mm. Islam, to the other Muslims. Why? Because the Ahmadis are highly educated, they are highly organized, uh, they are peace-loving, they do not go around like TLP, you know, this... Uh, As I must
1: bring you to a close here, uh, because we have to move on. Uh, but I think we take your point in what you're saying, um, and I think you've summarized that, yes, Jinnah's uh, vision has been failed by the politicians of today but his vision was right. Uh, Dr. Iqbal, just one last quick word, and then I've got an Indian perspective coming on after you two. Uh, Dr. Iqbal.
6: I think it's a tragedy what's happened in both countries, to be honest, in terms of rise of extremism. Um, you know, there were visionary leaders. We may dislike Gandhi and Nehru, etc., but there were visionary people as well uh, in their own way. But uh, their vision has been failed by India as well in terms of uh, and. What Jinnah was frightened about has come true. And similarly, unfortunately, in Pakistan, extremism, you know, those who hated Jinnah, in fact, and they never wanted Pakistan, are running Pakistan now. So it just goes to show in both nations, things have turned upside down. Such a shame.
1: It is, uh, indeed, and I think we'll share that view with you. Thank you, both of you, for uh, such an engaging discussion. Much more could have been discussed. But uh, thank you for joining me. Uh, really joining us now is Bupinda Singh Basin. Mm-hmm. Uh, he lives in West London, a businessman. Bupinda Singh is involved with the project, Potohar project, who have produced a documentary, Children of the Partition, uh, an oral history of the Potharis. Uh, good morning and welcome and guru uh, Bupinder. Uh,
5: good morning, good morning. Good. Uh, thank you God. for having me on. No, no, it's always um, a pleasure.
1: We we just had a Pakistani uh, view of the situation of the partition, and but you yourself have been working yeah. on this project about the uh, children of partition. Yeah. Tell us a bit more yeah. about that and anything else um, you want to say.
5: Um, if it's okay, just... Following on from the conversation yes. that you've just been having, mm. I think uh, there's another thing that we need to really think about mm. is uh, Britain had just come to the end of the Second World War. We had the rise of the USSR. Um, and um, there's been quite, a, if you look at the, the wider political um, Dance, uh, you know the the, the communist uh, USSR. Mm. You had the uh, the British, and uh, who uh, had realised that their time of empire is coming to an end. Um, and when you look at that perspective, um, you know you kind of there's a political reason why why Britain favoured this idea of a new country, Pakistan, being created. Right. Nice. Uh, just imagine today, if if India, Pakistan, and Bangladesh were one big country, we'd mm. have a superpower on on the lines of China, I think. Mm. So you know, this divide and rule policy of empire um, was was really played out in in India, Pakistan, and, and later Bangladesh.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, um, so that that,
5: that yeah. that's certainly no no a uh, that's there. a
1: good point made. Um, yeah. And, and and in terms of your project that you are doing, children yes. of the partition. Tell us a bit more about that.
5: Yes. Well. Um, so actually the potohar association uk uh, came about in the 1970s actually or just even before the 1970s and that was obviously a group of uh, people who had origins in the puttar region uh, which is obviously in west uh, it, it's in pakistan or, mm. or west punjab okay. um and so the the association just ba- basically got people together people who had settled here in the uk um from from that region, uh, organizing social and cultural events for many, many years. And over the last couple of years, we've sort of taken a more educational side in terms of uh, what is this region, Putahar, that that uh, sort of my ancestors and so many other people's ancestors were, were were from. And obviously partition uh, meant that all of us, uh, all of our my grandparents and so on, had, had to leave that, that region. Um, and find new homes in, in in India, and and then actually we find that uh, you know quite significant numbers of of people who are in that situation have now ended up here in the UK, um, and and also many of them went uh, earlier to East Africa, and then made their way to the UK as well. Mm-hmm. So that's the association represents uh, sort of is trying to. Rekindle—that's that's the name of the project, actually. Rekindling yeah. Putahar, because right. uh, you know there, there is a certain culture and traditions that uh, are from that region. So that region, Putahar, is around Rawalpindi, uh, Attock, Chakwal, um, and Jhelum. These, these areas, which are obviously well known in in Pakistan,
1: indeed. Um, uh, yes.
5: And so the project that we've done is. It's called Children of Partition: An Oral History. So it's an oral history project. We mm. we basically interviewed a number of people and then created the documentaries from those interviews. Do, um,
1: do you have people who lived through that partition in that group? Do, have you? Uh, did you live through that partition yourself?
5: Well, um, well, Well, my mother uh, was was a year old, mm. and their family, um, you know, travelled by train. Very traumatic same journey, as I understand it. Um, uh, and then and came first to Patiala in India, and then eventually settled in, in Delhi in India. Uh, my, my father's family actually, although they have origins uh, in the Chekval area, uh, they had actually moved to Amritsar a few years before partition. Um, but again, my father saw many, many horrors taking place there in, in Amritsar as well, uh, growing up. Um, and so that that and then i was born and brought up here in the in the, in the uk right but um what happened is five years ago uh I, I actually managed was fortunate enough to go and visit pakistan and we we specifically went well we went obviously to see the religious sites according uh, to important to the sikh faith.
1: Important but to also
5: do that, yes. we made a special trip to this putahar area uh the the, the the kind of land of my ancestors let's mm, say mm. and it really was very interesting because when when we speak to people young people or people my kind of generation a lot of them don't know much of the history don't know much of the um where we come from but this this area putahar um even even well well before if we it has an ancient ancient history um uh, obviously alexander the great invaded that area uh and and then you had the the huge um uh uh, univer- uh, well, Dakshala, Dux- uh, which is the site of what many claim is the world's oldest university, uh, over 2,000 years old, um, it was a Buddhist um, uh, university which had people from all over the world at that time right. uh, coming for study over there. Um, obviously, it's in ruins now. Uh, it's, an ancient, it, it's actually a UNESCO World Heritage Site now. Um, and we, we went to visit there and mm. you realize it was such a rich culture mm. uh, and a very interface culture as well Because that's That region, Budhar yeah. was home um, uh, Obviously to to Buddhists as I mentioned, mm. Hindus um, uh, To the Jain community as well. There were many Jain temples in that right. area um, and and then obviously Sikhs came a little bit later on and then uh, and then you had the Mughal Empire that took over that that area, and and so the the Muslims arrived in that area. Okay. So you've got this melting pot of these different religions mm. that are, that are and, in this area. Uh,
1: and and how was your visit to Pakistan, uh, people? You uh, you wear a turban, I believe and uh, you'll be very clearly visible as a Sikh and and the members who have gone to Pakistan how were you treated how was your impressions of Pakistan and how how are the people uh, of your community there how are they living
5: well absolutely we we were really warmly welcomed um, and Wherever we went actually we were warmly welcomed. <laughs> we were in in some cases stopped on the street and said, Can we take a picture of it with you? <laughs> so, so we were very warmly welcome. Excellent. And and obviously we share the the same language Punjabi. Absolutely, yes. And in fact, the kind of the Punjabi that we speak at home is mm. more akin to the sort of uh, uh Punjabi that's spoken in in, in Pakistan. Right, okay. Um, which is slightly different, slightly different dialect to the, it to, the Pakistan, uh, to the Punjabi that's spoken in 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 Indian, Indian
1: Punjab. Punjab, correct?
5: Yeah, and so we were very warmly welcomed, and um, uh, although uh, the tourist organisation had arranged some security to to go along with us, but mm-hmm. we were a group, you see, uh, but uh, we were warmly welcomed wherever we went. And actually, we we went not just to seek sites; we we also went to for example, the, the um, well, Sheikh Baba Farid is oh, also yes. very important. Very famous, uh, yes. His Vikings are also included in the Guru Granth. They are on there. Baba Farid is courted often
1: yeah. in, in the Guru Granth uh, in your, correct. In so your we, parts we that Park, you do. Yes.
5: yes, that's right. So we went to Park Patan and we visited uh, the, the, the mosque that they have there in his memory. Um, we, we went to uh, Baba Bulle uh, mosque as well. So it was for us, uh, you know, an interface visit as well. Indeed. To, to learn more about... Um, well, well done to you for doing that, yeah.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and in terms of, uh, obviously we're talking about the partition, and there's a history behind it, and you you covered some of that as why, why all that happened. But... Uh, some aspects of relationship between India and Pakistan—they they, they're sometimes good, they're sometimes bad, but there have been some very good, positive stuff going on. And and uh, is that something you wish that uh, the two nations would do more, like the opening of the Katharpur corridor? You know, the yeah. of, if not mistaken, that's yeah. the birthplace of Baba Nanak at Katharpur. Uh,
5: um, that's actually where he passed away. Passed away. Sorry, my
1: um, my apologies. Yes, yes. that's right, yes. yeah,
5: yeah, um, right. Well, I just. Again, from a perspective from someone who lives here in the u k when we look at the second world war again sorry, mm. I'm going back to that we've had Germany against the allies in, in, and, and the, you know france and britain and, and the other um, countries, but obviously, now we look at the situation where france germany it's, and and the European countries are the best of friends indeed and and are are powerful because of that mm. um, yes. There is that, that creation of Pakistan and later Bangladesh, uh, and there is this conflict uh, that, that keeps going on until today and this great big kind of rivalry mm. that was created by the British in order, I feel, to, to keep these uh, countries down. Mm. Uh, and just imagine if there was more cooperation, if they were not spending so much money on nuclear arms pointing at each other, right. if they were you know, helping their own countries, to, to come up and if for example we had a, a you know a similar situation like 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 something like the European Union but a, a subcontinent union of some sort there'd be a power to be reckoned with in the world today uh, and so uh, well they they are a power to be reckoned with they, in the they are today, indeed but an even greater yeah. one yeah. but an even greater one sure so that that just um, you know th- these these are facts of history and colonial history that that are affecting us even today mm. that we don't really realize
1: uh, and, 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 and we contain some of the richest cultures and traditions uh, yeah. you know, going back centuries and centuries, uh, something that yeah. we should be working on more. And I think the work that you're doing yeah. is a very positive work. Uh, mm. Sorry for the short time, but unfortunately we're coming to yeah. the end of the show, so my apologies. But yeah. thank you for sharing your vision. But we must have you back on the show and discuss right, more yeah. things just that... Just uh, a very brief very quickly. That, yes, the
5: documentary we've produced is, is, is a very positive look. It's, a, it's looking forward rather than backwards.
1: Excellent. Uh,
5: It is going to be available uh, tomorrow uh, on Monday evening, which is the 15th uh, of August at at 8 p.m. on the SEEK channel, which is available on Sky, if you have Sky 768, channel 768.
1: Oh, Um, 768.
5: Yeah, channel (laughs) 768 on the Sky network. Yeah. Uh, it will be on at 8 p.m. tomorrow evening. Uh, I don't know uh, if you know. If no, thank you for
1: sharing that uh, on Channel oh, 768. Yeah. 768 is a very prominent uh, number in Islam. Yeah. <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> But thank you very much. And uh, <laughs> it, I will look into that and uh, give you feedback, uh, hopefully. Great. Thank you very thank much, Bapinda. Thank you for joining us. Okay, thank All you. Right. Right, Walid. Uh, no. Unfortunately, this discussion was going to go over no, the, no, time, the whole discussion on very the whole topic of the partition. And yeah. uh, so. but very quickly on the football, Manchester United. What's going on there? You're the expert on this. <laughs>
2: uh, no, not the expert. I mean, I'm uh, living in a, a house that's in mourning. Oh, uh, is that right. I've got I've got, I've got uh, uh, two children. That only three children that are uh, Manchester United supporters. You, Once was Barcelona.
1: All right, <laughs> so you've got Manchester at the top of the table and you've got Manchester at the bottom of the table. Yes. Uh, and both scores yesterday were 4 0. Yep. There, what's going on with Manchester? Is it the management or is it the players or Is uh, is Ronaldo past it?
2: Well, no, it's the whole team. It's not. Uh, you can't ascribe the malaise that exists on just one player in fact commentators are saying that uh, it's not just the players it's the board hmm. is the whole setup that needs to be uh, needs to be uh, rehashed uh, but we'll see uh, how things go but uh, it was quite a remarkable uh, turn of events uh, in last night uh, uh, with uh, with united uh, and um, uh, things uh, we were things, uh, well, it was hoped that with the new management coming in that uh, things would improve, but that's not been the case. It's quite the opposite uh, with the other half of Manchester. Uh, they're um, uh, sailing high at uh, top of the uh, table mm. uh, and uh, rejoicing over their new signing early in Haaland who has uh, made quite an impact scoring twice in his first first game, uh, yeah. first game. not yet. not, yesterday. Sco- not sc- yeah but yep. uh, he would did have an assist yep. um and uh, not only that but uh, they were able to um uh, uh, what is it uh, discharge or get um, uh, to send away good players to mm. other, uh, other clubs. clubs. <laughs> um, Rudiger, well, not Rudiger, but G- uh, Jesus, oh, yeah, who yes, has yes, performed yes, extremely yes, well, well for uh, Arsenal. Arsenal he scored and, twice. And they're
1: doing very well. 4-2 yesterday, yes. sitting yeah. second on the table. Yeah. And then you've got Liverpool in the middle, having all drawn the first game. Yes. Um, is this some early signs of how the league's going to pan up? Brentford are up there, Newcastle is up there.
0: Leads
2: well, are up there, yes. Yeah, well, it's very early days, it's just two matches for most uh, most teams. I think uh, Tottenham will certainly be uh, in the top uh, four top six, uh, and vying for uh, the top four places.
1: Uh, wonderful derby today with Chelsea, that yes. will, be, will be a crucial game yes. to to
2: yes. see how yeah. teams are, yeah. So, Chelsea have had to reform, no Rudiger, mm-hmm. no Lukaku, but uh, we'll see how how that uh, that uh. Uh, it pans out, and uh, Tottenham are uh, uh, a formidable side uh, with Son and Kane. Did both well top th- top in the both in the Ballon d'Or uh, rankings, right. the top thirty rankings. So- Son and Kane. Top
1: thirty. <laughs> <laughs> <Very good. laughs> Any chance of getting it? But uh, I think it's no. going to be an interesting because the last Bentham. season was very good uh, for the Premiership, uh, very close at the end. Yeah. Uh, last day results. Uh, so hopefully this season will be equally exciting.
2: Yes, uh, let's let's hope so. And there is the World Cup as well. That's going to be uh, dividing the, well, uh, separating into halves of the of the season. League of uh, the in, season. Yes, it is, Yeah.
1: Anyway, uh, we come to the end of the show. Thank you for everyone for Azar, Dr. Bal Bapinda for joining us. Yourself, Lulid, always joining me, and to Zishan in my technical room. Uh, and this is Asa Namdi closing at uh, the Weekend World Show, uh, on Voice of Islam.